lesbian visibility, lame koozies, and Kamala's latest attempt at public speaking. You know, a lot of men are pretending to be women these days, but I'm keeping it old school. All three of my losers this week are female from birth. And the show starts now. You know, some people, mostly liberals, cheer as biological men trample over actual women, stealing their accolades and their thunder, but not here. Not on Tommy Lahren is Fearless. No, this week I will recognize three legit women as my losers of the week, and boy, did they earn it. First up is the third dumbest person in the Biden administration, after Joe and Kamala, of course, KJP. Well, this week is apparently Lesbian Visibility Week, and while President Joe might suck at everything else, he's clearly very good at recognizing lesbians. So this week is Lesbian Visibility Week, and as the first openly queer person to hold the position of press secretary for the President of the United States, I see every day how important visibility and representation are. Today, I'm honored to welcome the cast of The L Word and Generation Q, two Showtime series that chronicle the friendship, the love, the challenges, and the triumphs of strong, funny, and resilient queer women. Lesbian Visibility Week for me and my friends. That's, That's us! <laughs> All right, your country is going to hell in a handbasket, but you can rest assured and seek comfort in the fact your president recognizes the unique contributions of lesbians and also promotes them within his administration based on the diversity quotient alone. It's really going to come in handy should World War III break out, you know, just send in the lesbians. Although I'm still rather confused because lesbians are defined as women who are sexually attracted to other women, but the Democrats are unable to define what a woman is, so the math ain't mathing here, but oh well. On to my next loser of the week, another insufferable woman, Nikki Haley. If you've noticed, or more accurately haven't noticed, the only time Nikki Haley has made headlines since announcing her run for president was when Don Lemon called her old. But she's desperate to cling on to that relevance, so she's launched a line of koozies, lest you've forgotten about that one time at band camp when Nikki Haley was noticed in this presidential race. You know, this ranks just under Dylan Mulvaney's Bud Light ad as the most cringy beer-affiliated thing perhaps ever. But speaking of cringy... <laughs> My last loser this week is Kamala Harris. You know, I firmly believe that anything a man can do, a woman can do, and better. And I've got the clip to prove it. You thought Joe Biden was bad at public speaking? Well, let's let Kamala give he, him a run for his money. So I think it's very important, as you have heard from so many incredible leaders, for us at every moment in time, and certainly this one, to see the moment in time in which we exist and are present. And to be able to contextualize it, to understand where we exist in the history and in the moment as it relates not only to the past, but the future. The moment in time in which we exist, in this moment in time, here we are, existing. <laughs> Folks, we are one octogenarian's heartbeat away from that being our president and commander in chief. So. God help us. Those are my losers of the week. But still ahead, our law enforcement officers are needed now more than ever. So why is the left hell-bent on undermining them? I've got two officers joining me in studio next. 
So y'all know how much I appreciate and support law enforcement, and I'm blessed my job has allowed me to meet so many of our nation's officers and share their stories with you. So here's another one. On October 26, 2013, Officer Ann Carrizales initiated a traffic stop on a vehicle occupied by three members of a violent gang with ties to MS-13. Yes, illegals. While speaking with the driver of the vehicle, the front seat passenger opened fire, shooting her in the face and the chest prior to fleeing. She immediately returned fire and while bleeding and in severe pain, got back into her patrol vehicle, beginning pursuit of the suspects and all three were captured. Joining me now is the woman herself, Officer Ann Carrizales, plus our friend and founder of Street Cop Training, Dennis Benino. So I'm so happy to have both of you here. I love law enforcement. I love celebrating law enforcement. And I think being able to tell the stories of the people behind the badge and the uniform is really important for the national discussion right now, especially given the state of our law enforcement and the low morale in the entire industry and the way that you guys are talked about. You know, Officer Ann, I shared your story and it's an incredible one. And it's one that you and I have talked about before. And it's still, even though I've heard it several times at this point, <laughs> it's still miraculous to me. But I wanna start with you and get your thoughts on, I know that you have been kind of out of the field for a while. When you're out of the field looking back on your time serving and then now the state of law enforcement today, how do you see it's changed? Uh, I'm actually still in the field. I still get in the patrol car. I just don't do it at the full-time level that I was once doing it. And even though I'm still in the field in a reserve position, it's still just so different. I can come back from you know one month to the next and the climate has changed and the field has changed. Um, I think that for the most part, the, the biggest change that I feel is, is the morale, like you referenced. The morale seems to be just taking a tank and it's going lower and lower and lower. And just when you feel like you can feel a glimmer of hope within the ranks of your, your partners to the left and the right, it, it, something happens, something else comes out in the, in the, in the headlines with that, their own narrative and then the morale just keeps dropping lower and lower and lower. So I think uh, that combined with you know, the issues that we have uh, in our profession with mental health and the decline of mental health, uh, obviously that's not just a cop problem, that's a human being issue but it affects law enforcement and so that in turn affects morale it's a feeling of are we being seen do they even want us here and sometimes why are we doing it you know uh there are still those uh that are clinging on to the hope that this will will take a shift and will go back to a positive uh a positive outlook amongst you know between civilians and law enforcement you know first responder community but i think that um for the most part, the morale is just very, very low. And, and from one month to the next, you can, you can actually feel it just mounting and mounting. Dennis, you train officers for a living now. Obviously, that's why you're here in Nashville for the conference, which is very well attended. And people are so excited to be there and to learn, which is amazing to me that even given the low morale, these officers still want to come. They want to get better and they want to be the best that they can possibly be in their profession. But Ann mentioned mental health. When you're training officers, and I know that you train for you know, drug trafficking, sex trafficking, everything, just how to be a better officer, is there any element of the mental health that you specifically address or that maybe needs to be more widely addressed? So the responsibility of it is one that we take very seriously. We started getting into it more and more and more. There is a need for more mental health professionals in the country in general. Um, for my mental health professional friends, it's been explained to me that the bar to get certified is set so high, a lot of people don't do it. And there's just an overwhelming need. And on top of it, there's a very unique 
type of person that has the compassion or has to have the compassion to uh, be appropriate for first responders. And so some of these men and women actually go to mental health treatment and get judged because of people's positions politically against the police. So they go in to try to get help because they're human beings and they've seen awful things, horrible, horrific crime scenes, and they are talked to like they're garbage because they're law enforcement. It's, it's wild. And uh, we are starting to see the needle move a little bit forward. Uh, we are eons away from where it needs to be. It's a, it's a very tricky and delicate situation, but there's no question about it. Life preservation is our top priority at this company mm -hmm. through tactics and mental health. Um, so there's a lot of people really coming forward now and the conversation is beginning to happen, but we are eons away from where we need to be. And yeah. I want to talk about what Dennis mentioned, and that's the divide in this country. I think it was probably maybe 10 years ago, maybe a little less, that support for law enforcement became like a Republican versus Democrat thing. It never used to be that way in my memory. It used to be we all support law enforcement. This isn't a red versus blue issue. It's just a we back the blue, whether we vote red or not or blue, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. But this shift now to what Dennis was saying that now if you're in law enforcement, now you're seen as somehow inherently conservative or inherently racist or transphobic or misogynist or whatever label they want to put on you. Mm -hmm. How do we in the media, I'm speaking for myself, how do we in the media, people like me, who want to change that, who, who want to show that law enforcement is for everybody, how do we go about doing that in a way that's more helpful to what you do every day? I think one of the best ways to do that is to do a lot of what you're trying to do here now, having these officers and giving them a platform, uh, getting their stories out there. Uh, the community, the people are hearing, you know, what they're hearing on the news based on whoever's presenting them with the information, right? And so I think if we can get more people like you to put us and give us a platform where we can tell our own stories, where you can hear the real truth behind, you know, like Dennis said, what we see and the things that we go through and, and a lot of the, uh, the ways that we're spoken about as, like you said, racists, you know, uh, I have biracial children and I've been called a racist more than, and I'm Hispanic, right? So it, it's, it's just bizarre because, simply because of the uniform I wear. So I think just, you know, giving them a platform and giving them the floor to have an honest conversation, an honest conversation about the human being that wears the uniform. And no other profession anywhere that I've ever seen does someone get treated the way that law enforcement officers are treated based on what profession they're in. I haven't seen it, uh, certainly not at this level. And I, I, it's, it's not fair, life isn't fair, but I think it's, it's, it's nice to have somebody in your corner to give you a platform to speak the truth and say, okay, you've seen this part, this is what you've been told, but this is the real truth. And you you know, you know how that goes. Right. It, you, you, people will put stuff out there that they want people to hear and that's what people hear and they take it and they run with it like it's the doggone truth and it's not. And. Um, I find that the people in the world that are willing to have those conversations, some who aren't necessarily sure they back the blue, but they're willing to sit down and have the honest, hard conversations, have that open mind. We need more people like that. At the end of the day, you have just people who want to be heard. People want to be heard. Uh, they, they want people to say, okay, you, you may be right, but that doesn't necessarily make me wrong. Right, uh, and I think just giving people a clearer understanding of what it is that we're up against as human beings. At the end of the day, we are, we are that, we are human beings. Even, even <clears throat> like Dennis said, to go in and try to seek the help and still have people judge you and, 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 and almost you know, 
turn you away right as you walk in. You get to feel it. You feel that, and you're like, oh, okay, I'm not, I'm not welcome here. It's horrible. And the media has a lot to do with it. I want to ask you from yes. a training perspective as well, Dennis. We had an incident here. We've had a few incidents in Tennessee. One where our law enforcement officers were celebrated for what happened here in Nashville for their quick response and neutralizing that threat at the Covenant School. But before that, in Memphis, there was Tyree Nichols and those Memphis officers. And it went from this is black officers that maybe acted inappropriately with a black suspect to even black officers are just systemically racist. I want to get your take on what happened in Memphis from a training perspective. Everybody saw the video. It looked just absolutely horrific, outlandish, and inappropriate. But when you watched it, when you saw the headlines, from what lens did you view what happened there in Memphis? Well, let's think about that. I mean, <clears throat> I'm not here to defend those actions at all. How does somebody go from an application to the police department and for the most part, imagine at least some of those people had aspirations of serving their community to this situation. How do we go from there to that? And the answer is, is there's a lack of actual real training in law enforcement. And there's a complete failure in leadership overall. There's some really, really significantly profound good leaders in this profession. But to be honest with you, a lot of them are few and far between. So I just find it interesting that there is no accountability from a command staff level for a situation like that when they were completely failed. Um, they weren't trained. They didn't know what to do. We go to police academies where the, the basic training is, is checking boxes. And this is a profession where lives are on the line and in many facets, in the whole macro of the thing, you need to know how to protect lives, uh, how to have apprehensions that are, that are lawful, um, you know, how to employ appropriate physical force. And I just imagine what their training records look like. And you know, we see it all the time. These men and women are dying to go to training, and now we're facing a, a new issue in law enforcement training where we're so low on manpower, they're not even allowed to attend because there's nobody to work the road. Right. So as a company, we're actually shifting to try to help um, offset that by creating newer products that help officers get trained while they're working. That's the new thing they're looking for. But we're so, we're so short-staffed that they don't even get the things they need to do this job. and and. There should be some responsibility at the higher level. Where are the politicians that have called for change? Where's the funding we need to get this training? Where are the incentives to get more bodies into these patrol cars? Where is the political backing to say, we have a problem, it's gonna to continue to get worse. We need politicians to step and say, we have to support the police. We have to give some kind of leeway and continue to overfund and train if you want better, more professional police officers. And then you have the situation in Atlanta where they wanted to build a police training center and the wackadoodles set the area on fire, which makes complete sense. If that's your, your whole motive is that you want officers to be better to burn down their training facility or burn down where their training facility is meant to be built, that makes a lot of sense. But another area where they are completely understaffed is our border. So we've yes. got our Border Patrol agents that are essentially babysitters at this point. So I would imagine in Texas and Arizona, there are a lot of sheriff's departments and law enforcement officers that are regular police officers that have to pick up the slack for that. You personally have dealt with this, you know what it's like, but with these states like Texas being so inundated right now, are actual law enforcement officers that are not border patrol, are they feeling the effects of what's happening in these border states? Absolutely, you feel the effects. It is a, tri a trickle down effect. 
You know, the, 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 the state of Texas alone will feel that trickle down. Uh, our hands, it feels like your hands are tied, you know. Uh, I, I don't work for Border Patrol, but the, the, uh, the friends I have that do, you know, they feel like that, that their hands are tied, right? And um, there's absolutely no way that you could be facing an issue that we're, like we're facing in the, at the border uh, and not feel that trickle down, even as a person working in law enforcement that doesn't necessarily work for Border Patrol. You're going to feel that trickle down because what ends up happening is you see the remnants of it in your communities, you know, kind of like I did. Uh, does that make up for all of the crime we're dealing with? Absolutely not. But it's a problem, and we know it's a problem. And I, I believe that while uh, there's so much work to be done, you're, you're still expecting, you know, the, the patience is there for all this to get worked out, but we don't, we don't, we're not afforded that same type of, you know, right. uh, consideration. We still have to deal with the problem, and um, you're expected to kind of work miracles out there with, with what you got. And uh, at some point, you have to kind of question, where are the political leaders, you know, the ones that are calling for this, that, and the third? Uh, they've got to get their work done before we can really be as effective as we can be out there on the streets. And um, the bottom line is we're going to continue to feel that trickle down until this problem is, is really um, focused on and, and fixed. I don't know when that's going to be. But uh, until we do, we will continue to see the, the problems that we have trickling down into our communities, the good men and people in the communities that are going to have to face issues as a result of that. Uh, again, I don't by any means think it's specific to the border issue, the crime levels that we're seeing. Mm -hmm. uh, social and political climates and changes that are, is going to affect crime as well. But uh, huge problem there at the border and um, with officers feeling like their hands are tied on both ends both at the border and in, in the street with 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 city cops and 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 things like that yeah we're, we're all going to continue to feel the, the pressure from it yeah and we have a fentanyl crisis we've got just absolute lawlessness the smash and grabs going on of course in more liberal states than in conservative ones but it's still ongoing mm -hmm. and i speaking to like a training perspective when you speak to officers and you train officers that are in these high crime areas in these cities and the people in the city say, you know, police officers don't do anything. We call them. There's this person stealing everything they want from the Walgreens. There's this person that's sleeping on somebody's step doing drugs and they call the officers and the officers are like, uh, we can't help you. And then they get frustrated with the officers. So let's help kind of clear some of that up. When you talk to those officers and what they're facing in these cities, What's their response, and do they feel like they can even do their job? You're damned if you do, you're damned if you don't. That old saying, and it rings true in every big metropolitan city uh, with liberal politics infused, and it just becomes very interesting how law enforcement uses a political pawn, and they control what the cops do, and how they're made out to be like the problem, and the problem's made out to be like the heroes. It's, it's completely absurd. And the morale in these major metropolitan cities is through the basement. They are leaving in droves. They are, they are done. And unfortunately for the city, and fortunately for the typically outside counties and cities and towns, they're picking these very, very talented, very driven police officers up because they have been so mistreated. The morale is so bad. I mean... Uh, the internal discipline that they face through political uh, uproar when they hear something you didn't like or you messed with some politician's neighbor because you were doing your job and what the recourse is on the inside. 
guys and girls who want to go out and protect your society and, and catch bad guys, which cops are supposed to do. That's what they're supposed to do. They're supposed to go out and stop things before they happen. So we don't have situations like active shooters and, and drugs being sold. And they're literally handcuffed and told, don't even bother. You're only going to find yourself in more trouble. Um, and then you can go to other parts of this country, and they're encouraged to go out and do that kind of work. So the message is clear. If you're in a big city, it's not worth it. But if you want to do police work, these other cities and these sheriffs, they open you, they, they welcome you with open arms. Florida is one of those. Ron DeSantis giving bonuses to officers, and a lot of New York officers are heading John. to Florida, and it makes perfect sense. But I want to ask you, you're both parents, and you're both law enforcement officers in the law enforcement field. Would you want your children to go into this profession as it is now? Would you encourage them if they came to you and said, I want to be a police officer? Officer Ann, I want to start with you. Is that something that you would advise? And I want you to be honest. No. And why is that? You know, this profession, it's, it's, it's cost me a lot. Um, I love this profession. It is an honorable one. But I know the cost. And I don't think there's... You know, there's a mother out there whose child is out there working in law enforcement today that doesn't bear the worry for that, of that, you know. Um, I know what it's cost me. I know what it's cost my family. I know what it's cost my children. It's taken a lot of their innocence from them at a very young age. And so if they came to me now, first of all, I would be shocked because I know what they have had to go, go through as a result of mom um, being in law enforcement. Um, they know that I, I, I don't know how to explain it, but there's still nothing that I would really rather ever do than protect people. And I can't, uh, I haven't always been able to reason that with my own children. Um, and so there were times growing up that they were very bitter toward me. They were very angry at me because they couldn't understand it. But now that they're, they're adults, if, if they came to me and said, you know, I want to work in law enforcement, my heart would sink. I would be afraid for them because you're talking about them wanting or anyone who wants to come into policing right now, coming into policing during a different time. It's just a different time. So I always say hats off to the little baby cubs coming into the career now because when, when we came into the career field, it was, it was, you know, it was revered. Like, wow, you're, you're a cop. Wow, that's amazing. That's awesome. It's just different now. And the violence level, it's just different. There's so much different about the dynamic of policing today in America that I, if you're asking me to answer you honest, I would have to say no. I don't want that for my children, you know? I don't want them to go, hey, I, I decided to become a cop because I wanted to develop, uh, you know, issues with my mental health. You know, I wanted to struggle with post-traumatic stress issues. I wanted it to damper my relationships. I wanted it to question the very fiber of who I am as a human. I wanted to go give my life for somebody who doesn't even appreciate me or want me there. Um, who would want that for their kids? Not me. Um, but if they did come to me and say that, you know, my 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 children or my world and I would support them but I would have so much fear uh, for what it would cost them and um, while I still love this profession today someone coming into it today is just gonna have to come into it with a whole other set of tools than you know someone like me did I didn't have a tool belt that I entered in with they gave me one and they told me to equip it with what they told me I was gonna need and that wasn't all I, I ended up needing I know that now, 20 years in with, 
you know, a combined military police and civilian police experience, but I didn't know that back then. So having that knowledge now and having my babies come to me and say, I want to do this, I would be terrified and I wouldn't want that life for them. Dennis, is it more dangerous now? Is it more dangerous to be a police officer or is it just the environment to where you can't do your job and you can't do your job well given the political climate or is it just everything is more dangerous? That's what I really want to sort out when you're thinking about your kids and if they wanted to enter this profession, which most people would be ecstatic if their children wanted to do what they did. But what I'm hearing from Anne is that that's not how she feels with this particular field. I think there's a lot of wonderful moments in police profession every single day that nobody ever sees. <clears throat> and I don't think people realize that every day when you're a police officer, you really have an opportunity to impact somebody's life. Um, the news doesn't show that thousands upon thousands of wonderful gestures. And people don't know that there are times when people will come up to you and unexpectedly recognize you and say, you were there at this moment, it was my worst moment, and you were so kind and compassion. So we have a real opportunity to be great human beings. And I've said it before when I was on the show, and I'll say it again, the profession isn't going anywhere. So we do have to shed some light on how wonderful it could be and what it takes to get there. Um, do I think it's more dangerous now than it has been? I don't know if it's more dangerous in the sense physical danger. I think that's always been an existing thing. We've had almost about the same amount of lives lost. And again, I don't want to get into debates with people about, well, it was 10 more last year and 13 less this year. I'm saying consistently and unfortunately, there have always been police officers who've lost their, lines, uh, their, their, their lives in the line of duty. Um, but what I think happens is with politics the way they are, with the media the way they portray the law enforcement officer because it sells ad space and because it's a hot topic issue, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, I think that you are going to be second guessed in a profession where we have to give poli police officers the benefit of the doubt to not be second guessed, to say, we get it's very hard. We get we didn't give you much to tr much training to try to assess these situations. We get that we're sending you situations that are almost hard to figure out. And if you make a mistake, I'm not saying you, you, you murdered somebody. If you make a mistake, if something happened, you didn't know and it was honest, um, there is going to be some leeway. We'll understand why that is. We, you know, if it's continual, obviously we'll have to have some kind of intervention at that point. So if my children said they wanted to be police officers, I think... Uh, as a known figure in law enforcement in today's day and age, I would just give them good guidance on where you can make a difference and, and what the job really entails. And, and uh, you know, hats off to all the men when they're still showing up and believing in the cause because it's a calling. You can't ignore it and you gotta scratch that itch because once it gets you and you believe in it, uh, it's something that you're gonna have to go and do. And uh, unfortunately, with, mm -hmm. with, with that job, um, it's, uh, it gets unfair at times, but it takes a real resilient person, and we have some of the most beautiful souls doing this job with such kind and compassionate hearts, and um, we're converting more people down that road to really be thoughtful about who they are, how they're seen, and everything they do being an important role now in today's country that's worth it to be an example. And uh, as weird as it sounds, I think in some of this bad, some really good's coming out of it. I think you're getting a better police officer today's day and age. Um, and I think you're getting people who really take this profession much more seriously and uh, know there's an expectation to perform in a certain way. Well, I'm glad we can end it on a high note. Mm -hmm. at, at least this is all 
happening and it's happening with people like you that are out there able to be the voice because i know so many officers don't want to be a voice they don't want to be seen politically they don't want to speak up they want to do their job and go home to their families right. at night but it's going to take people like you yeah. and people like me in the media to make sure that this is a profession that is still revered and people still want to do it and answer the call mm -hmm. but thank you both for being here you. you are two of my great friends and thanks for everything that you do and all the officers that you represent and especially Dennis for bringing them all together here in Nashville. We super appreciate it. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thanks, Tommy. All right, still ahead. Nikki Haley is going after Ron DeSantis, and it's even more hokey and gag-worthy than her ugly koozies. My final thoughts are next. Nikki Haley is now running to be Trump's VP, and it's excruciatingly and embarrassingly obvious. And I have some final thoughts. Oh, Nikki Haley, what can I say about Nikki Haley? Well, a few things off the top of my head. Indulgent, awkward, neocon opportunist with no shot in hell at the presidency or the vice presidency. But damn, is she sure trying to make fetch happen. Take a listen. We just learned a few moments ago that Disney is now suing the Florida governor for alleging, uh, an alleging political effort to hurt their business. What is your reaction to that as we still have yet to see him jump officially into the race? You know, as governor, I took a double-digit unemployment state and I turned it into an economic powerhouse. Businesses were my partners because if you take care of your businesses, you take care of your economy, your economy takes care of the people and everyone wins. And so that's the way we dealt with it. We are, South Carolina was a very anti-woke state. It still is. And if Disney would like to move their hundreds of thousands of jobs to South Carolina and bring the billions of dollars with them, I'll let them know. I'll be happy to meet them in South Carolina and introduce them to the governor and the legislature that would that would welcome it. I'm honestly surprised she didn't offer to move Disney to Ukraine like she wants to do with what's left of our tax dollars slash national dignity. And her voice, her attitude, well, it's giving Hillary vibes. Oh, and her invoking the sanctimonious label for DeSantis in her tweet is so cringeworthy, it actually makes me embarrassed for her. But one thing is pretty clear to me and anyone else with ears and eyeballs, she knows she has no shot in hell at winning the nomination, let alone the presidency. She's polling at or below Kanye West at this point, and it's going to not suddenly get better for her. So she is desperately, and I mean desperately, trying to set herself up to be Trump's VP pick. That's also not going to happen. She spent the last seven years calling him a racist on and off, except when she wanted that ambassador job, and this is no different. DeSantis hasn't even announced yet, but still, the other Republicans in the race just can't seem to talk about anything or anyone else. It's giving off obsessive vibes, and dare I say, yes I will, DeSantis derangement syndrome. He's living rent-free in their heads, and he isn't even a presidential candidate yet. I also don't get the strategy of other Republicans in the race, including Trump and especially Nikki Haley, dogging on DeSantis for taking on the leftists in the culture war. Since when is that a bad thing and why are Republicans on the same side of the issue as Democrats and rainbow wackadoodles? Also, living in Florida and trying to convince voters Florida is actually a horrible place doesn't make a ton of sense. Really, none of the attacks on DeSantis make sense strategically unless his future opponents care more about winning the nomination than they do the actual White House, and bingo, I think I've cracked the code. 
You know, I get it. Primaries are contentious, and they should be. But perhaps wait until the man is at least your actual and announced competitor before you relentlessly try to take him down. It's not a good look or a smart move. But hey, those are just my final thoughts. From Nashville, God bless. Take care.